come to hear from God's Word now. It is good for us always to remember to go to Him in prayer that He might help us. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning as those who do have a corrupt nature, those who are sinful in need of a Savior, in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to Your Word, as we come to hear from You, the One who always has the last Word, the One who is the Word itself. We pray that Your Spirit would open our minds, that You would soften our hard hearts, that we would hear and receive the Gospel, that we would obey Your Word, that we would lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Father, we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. As we continue in our sermon series, this is our fourth look at the book of Genesis. Our passage this morning comes from the sixth chapter. And here we find the writer of Genesis shifting gears a bit. We've spent the last few weeks unpacking the creation of humanity and their fall into sin. We then skipped over the account of Cain and Abel and their descendants. And now we look at a new section in the book. And we know that this is a new section in Genesis because it begins with the words, These are the generations of Noah. Anytime you hear those words in Genesis, these are the generations of, it's a cue that a new part of the book is underway. And that's what we find right here in the beginning of our passage in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 6. But in order to understand the context of our passage, we must read this introduction very closely. See, chapter 5, which we haven't studied, is just outlined how we've gotten all the way from Adam down to Noah. And then immediately we see that corruption and violence are filling the whole earth, the first eight verses of our chapter. But in God's great providence, there was a man living in those days whom God called Noah. Although it's not apparent in the name, unless you may have a son named Noah, this name literally means rest. And right from the very beginning then, the writer cues us in to what will follow. In the days where there is nothing but violence and corruption and civil unrest, there was a man whose name was Rest. The author then highlights a very important point. Right in the middle of this little introduction, the first few verses of our passage, he says that Noah walked with God. And this is how there can be rest in the middle of such unrest. As we consider what this means for our lives here and now, let us turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. I will read this for us. You can find it printed in your bulletin. Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. 
its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breadth of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. I've grown up all of my life in church. I grew up learning in Sunday school about Jesus. You know, when I got to middle school, I did what all good little ARPs should do. I memorized the shorter catechism. By the time I reached 16, I was thoroughly churched. But this in no way made me a Christian. In fact, I had a rather dark period in the first two years of high school. You know, I could say, I could sympathize with Adam. I could say along with him, the same Adam we've studied the last few weeks, God, it's it's this woman that you've given me. It's her fault. Now, I'll tell you, as a short aside, it really was Adam's fault. If you want to know more about that, just ask me after the service. But back to my story. You see, I began dating a young woman in my freshman year of high school. I dated her for some, for some time, and it's something I wouldn't readily advise to our young people. You know, As do most young loves go, so went mine. I always end up with a heartbreak, and this time it happened to be me. I was undone. I was in unrest and turmoil. I even remember a few short days when suicide was not very far from my mind. It was very real to me. No matter how much I heard, oh, there's other fish in the sea. Kind of an apt analogy during our time studying the flood. You know, how was it that a good young little ARP could think such thoughts? How is it that some of you can come to a conclusion that this life is too much to bear? You know, we know the answer to the shorter catechism, question 69. The sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of your own life or the life of your neighbor or anything that tends thereunto. What happened? I think it's the same thing that happened in Noah's day. You see, I knew the right answers On the outside, I looked very much like a Christian. But on the inside, my heart was filled with violence and corruption. Brothers and sisters, that's not an overstatement. The writer of Genesis is not exaggerating. The fall wholly corrupts us. I've become a man of unrest where every intention of the thoughts of my heart was evil always continually. 
how could this be? If I, if I knew all of the right answers in my head, if I knew all of the Sunday school answers, you know, 95% of them are Jesus, how could this be? Well, I knew all of the right answers, but I was not walking with God. This is what our text is teaching us right from the beginning. We see coming out of chapter 5, That evil had captured the hearts of mankind because of the fall. The intentions of their hearts were wholly corrupt. Every part of them. Because of this we see in verses 11-13 through of our text that violence was filling the earth. And humanity's corruption had in fact subdued their way. It had broken the path of their life. I want you to notice the contrast of this filling and subduing. I want you to notice the contrast between this corruption and what God originally told Adam and Eve. You'll look back in chapter 1. At the end of that chapter, God tells them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Why? So you can exercise dominion. I want us to pause for a moment. That word we often misuse. But this dominion is symbolic of God's presence of God's blessing. You see, that's why He blessed Adam and Eve in the first place. He creates them. He places them in the garden. He charges them with taking care of all of creation. And at the end of the chapter, we see God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. You know, they were in the garden. They were in God's very presence. They were abiding in Him. And as it says in the text, they were walking with God. So their dominion then was a way to increase, to multiply that blessing for all of creation. It wasn't some ruling over the animals in some harsh taskmaster way. It was taking God's presence and blessing and multiplying it throughout all of the earth. There was no sin. This was before the fall. Every intention of their heart, you might say, was only good all the time. But you see, under the curse of the fall, all of creation falls into sin and misery. And it's subject to increasing unrest. The writer tells us in this wonderful introduction, verse 9 and 10, it says, Behold, there was a man that walked with God, and his name meant rest. It's to this man that God speaks at the end of verse 13. He says, Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I will wipe out, blot out this evil and corruption. And probably one of the longest literary pauses, he then says, But make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. He tells this man walking in him, in a manner of speaking, my anger is kindled white hot. He says before our passage, I regret making humanity. I will destroy everything except those who are spared by the ark of my presence. For where I am, there will be blessing. There will be forgiveness. There will be deliverance. Now a question for you. 
Ever wondered why God chose Noah? Now, if we're just reading through very quickly chapter 6, we may be tempted to think, okay, the, the verse before our passage says, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. One more verse. There are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. We may be tempted to think, oh, well, God found, Noah found favor in the eyes of God because he was righteous, because he did all of the right things. Need I remind you what he does shortly after getting out of the ark? One of his first acts, he plants a vineyard. He's filling the earth. He's subduing it. He's multiplying God's goodness. He then takes the grapes to the threshing floor. He makes wine. And he celebrates communion, right? No. He gets drunk off of the wine. He causes his son to stumble into sin. He exposes himself to his son. Now does that sound like a righteous and perfect man that God would choose? No. The text simply tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we see later When God chooses to covenant with Noah, behold, I will destroy the entire world with a flood, but I will make my covenant with you. That is symbolic of God initiating the love. Of God choosing Noah, not because of what Noah can do for God, but because God loves him. God wants to save creation. He wants to save all of humanity. But he must not turn a blind eye to this corruption. You know, it was during the time of my heartache after losing this young woman, seemingly being distraught, that I found my love of jazz music. I don't know if you like jazz, but you should. It's the best genre of music in all the world. You know, jazz, after all, is fueled by love. Or maybe love lost, or at at least love unrequited. There's so much emotion dripping from jazz, and I, I found solace in the sound of jazz. Or so I thought. You know, I love the music, and I still do to this day. But, you know, how was it that I had come to do what Isaiah says, that I could call good what is evil, and call evil What is good? How could I despair of my life? How can you all, if you are Christians, if you have the love of God, how can you come to a point of despairing of your life, of being in depression? How could I let my heartbreak consume me? Well, I wouldn't have told you this at the time, but I think it was to join the rank of the Apostle Paul. Did you know that even this great apostle of the early church says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I despair of life itself. Paul, the great missionary of the early church, says I despair of life itself. Why does he say that? He says I despair. But that was to make me rely not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. See, I had corrupted my way. I was like the people of Noah's generation. I sought to have it my way, my own desires, my own plan. And my way 
corrupted my life. I think Frank Sinatra is probably my favorite jazz artist. But you know, old Mickey Blue Eyes is a liar. Or at least the lyrics that he sings in one of his most famous songs. He says, For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows. I did it my way. Don't you see the corruption? Don't you see what the history of the flood tells us? When we are left in our sin to do things our way, we only consider evil all the time. Not one of us is accepted from that. We are broken under the fall. We chase after idle pleasures, empty gods, things that cannot and will never sustain us or save us. We're trying to swim our way out of the flood. It will not work. You know, thankfully God, in His great mercy to me, right in the time of my despair, sent a youth leader to my home church. I distinctly remember Impact Weekend 2003. I don't really remember what went on, but I remember that weekend, and it is aptly named for the impact it had on my life. I got a phone call from the youth leader. He was just becoming like new at the church, trying to meet the kids, trying to meet the families. Very innocently, he gives me a call one day. He says, hey, I'd just like to hang out. We got this thing going on over the high school. Maybe you could come. You know, we just hang out for a while. He wasn't, wasn't trying to knock down my door with the gospel. He wasn't telling me that I'm going to burn in hell. He wasn't doing any of that. He decided to come and to walk alongside of me. A very simple, very ordinary thing. It made all the difference in my life. He patiently and gently answered my questions. He explained to me that the unrest in my soul, the reason why I had such turmoil, was because I had not taken on the yoke of Jesus. I knew of Jesus. I came to church every week. I came to youth group after that. I knew of Jesus. I knew the right answers, but I did not know Jesus. I was not walking with God. I had not taken on that yoke which is so easy and that burden which is light, which is meant to give us rest. You see, it's very simple. I was trying to make my way in life rather than yielding to the one who is the way and the truth and the life. This is exactly what we see in our passage next. God tells Noah in verse 17, That he was going to bring a flood to destroy everything with the breath of life. Now we'll talk about that phrase and its significance in just a moment. But for now, notice what God says next. But I will establish my covenant with you and with your family. See, Noah had a choice. And so do you. He did nothing to earn God's favor as we've already said. Simply says he found favor in the eyes of God. But he had to choose if he would put his faith in this God or not. He had to choose and he had to decide, is God really who he says he is? Is this flood really going to happen? It sounds a bit over the top. Is this ark that I'm supposed to build really the only way that I can be saved? 
Is God really going to destroy everything? And he chose to have faith in God. Why? He chose to have faith in God because he walked with God. He knew who God was. He had seen his faithfulness. He believed that God would do what he said. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Then they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. You see, God waits on Noah. God would have been just in destroying everything. It wasn't as if Noah, as we've already said, was perfect, was able to measure up and earn God's love. God could have destroyed everything. He didn't have to tell Noah to build an ark. He didn't have to wait on Noah to build an ark. Just a good quick aside. I know we can't see it right now, but, but Robinson Hall, the, the new building that we have, a wonderful provision of God. You know, if you were to multiply that building roughly three times in size, that would be the size of the ark. Now think about that. Regardless of whether Noah built it with his bare hands or hired out skilled laborers to do it, this is manual labor we're talking. They didn't have forklifts. They didn't have things to move around all of these great pieces of wood. But yet they built the ark. Now that would take time. And Peter tells us that God is patient, waiting so that they might be saved and delivered through the ark. And he goes on to say that baptism... Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you and saves me. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good, good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter's writing to those suffering under persecution. He's writing that they might bear up under these trials. That they might bear up, as it were, under the storm and the flood of their life. And he points to the events of Noah's ark to prepare them for this endurance. God didn't have to wait on Noah. He could have destroyed everything. Instead, he chose to be patient. He chose to spare Noah and his family. And God does not have to wait on you and on me. But he does so because we find favor in his eyes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is patient waiting on us to be found in the Lord Jesus. That's why it means baptism. The same way that Noah passed through the waters of judgment, we pass through the waters of baptism as we are cleansed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, after... My youth pastor came. I think that was when God really called me to himself and bound me to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been in the church all my life. But I had not yet come to walk with Jesus. You know, not simply coming to church or knowing the Sunday school answers. I did that. But he knew that I needed to walk with Jesus. And what was the way that he taught me how to do this? Was it some grand conversion experience? It was by another Christian walking with Jesus coming to walk alongside of me. That's ministry. That's gospel evangelism. That's the imperative of our text. But you know, that's not fun and easy. 
God is calling us to be intentional and to seek out those who are lost, to seek out those who are in dangerous waters of judgment, to pray for them while God may be found, to go, to love them, to walk with them, to show them that the unrest in their life can only be assuaged by the rest that we find in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that gospel is offensive. That is not something that we take lightly. That is not something that some of us do and some of us don't. That is the imperative upon all of us. You want to know how I know that? Peter keeps going. He says in the third chapter of his second letter, he says, I want you to know that there's coming a day when scoffers will come following their own sinful desires. You notice the parallel there with the days of Noah. They will come and what will they say? They'll say, you know, it's, just, it's, it's been like it's always been. Doesn't that sound like the lie of our culture? This is the only life you get. You know, we've just been evolving for millions of years. We just happen to be in this place at this time. It's always been the same. And Peter says very, very specifically, no, they are denying that the flood ever happened. He looks back to the flood of Noah and says, do you not remember that God created the world out of the water and symbolically destroyed it in the flood? And the only way that they were preserved was in the ark of his presence. He says, guess what? There is coming another day like that. The judgment day in which Christ will return to this earth. And he says, it's coming like a thief in the night. You cannot wait. The imperative is to go out because we do not know the day or hour when the Lord Jesus shall return. Do you know what's so beautiful about this? Look what happens next in our passage. Noah had to frantically scram for a whole year, going out and finding all these animals and wrangling them and wrestling them and driving them to the ark. No. In seven days, God Almighty brought them to the door. Two by two, in an orderly fashion. God brought all of life to Noah. And why? tells us in verse 19, he says, I will bring to you of every living thing of all flesh, I will bring two of every sort into the ark. Why? To keep them alive with you. Don't you see what Adam and Eve failed to do? To extend God's grace and His presence and blessing to multiply life and to make it be fruitful in all of creation. Mankind did asunder and God says through Noah, now you go out and you be fruitful. You keep life alive. But you're going to do it through my ark. Beloved, the same imperative is on us. We have received deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are called then to obey, to go out and to share that the only way of salvation is through Jesus What does this mean for you today? What does this mean for us sitting here now? How can you apply this to your life? Well, I think the first question you need to ask and I need to ask is, are you walking with God? I'm not talking about coming to church every Sunday 
I'm not talking about religiously giving all that you are to the church. I'm talking about, do you know Jesus? Each of you, do you know Jesus? Can you confess Him as Lord, as Master of your life, knowing that your way is no longer, but it is in Christ that you live? Do you know Him? And are you walking with Him? Are you still trying to get out of the flood in your own steam? But maybe you've yielded your life to Christ. Maybe you have submitted your way to His. You are seeking to follow after God, to walk with Him in His presence but you still feel overwhelmed by the flood. Maybe you're weakened in your following of Him. How can you find the rest in the Gospel? Remember earlier when I told you we would talk about that little phrase, the breath of life. I believe that phrase has abundant significance for our passage. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 14? He's promising his disciples something. They don't want him to die. They don't want him to go away from them. And Jesus says, oh, it's so much better. You would be rejoicing if you knew why I went back to the Father. Why? It's to make a room for you in God's kingdom. Don't you see, beloved? Noah was called to build an ark with many rooms in it to provide a way of deliverance. And the Lord Jesus looks at you this morning and says, I've gone back to the Father to make a room for you because you are my beloved. And in me you find deliverance. You see, Jesus is the ark of God's presence. But not only has He gone back to the Father to make room for us, He says, let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid, for I am sending you my Holy Spirit. That's the same word as breath of life. But you see, this time, it's not simply the breath of life. It is God's life-giving Spirit itself. And beloved, if you are bound in that Spirit, there ain't not a thing that will sink you in this flood. Do you have that Holy Spirit? Are you walking with God? It is my prayer that all of us this morning would say yes and amen, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But if you wait, you wait because you are patient, not wishing that any would perish. So send us out that we might bring more people into your ark, that you would save more and more people, adding them to your kingdom day by day. Beloved, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ.